John chapter 21. I want to give, a, I want to give an encouragement to, um, I want to just give a, a word from John 21 for those of you that are feeling that you are disqualified for the kingdom. And I'm betting that's probably a good bit of us that are feeling that way. You're feeling like you just don't have it, you don't measure up, you're tired, you tried and it didn't work out, you tried in past seasons and things didn't make it, you offered yourself and you were rebuffed, just fill in the blank. Whatever the reason is, I'm betting there's a good bit of people here that just feel like you're just not qualified the way that you feel like you need to be. Am I right? I, I, I feel that way. I've felt that way many times in my ministry, many times in my life that I just look at the Lord and say, you got the wrong guy. So I, I want to bring us to, to John 21 and look at a really cool story from the Gospels. Um, and I think it's a, it's a word from the Spirit that says that if if you're feeling disqualified, this is not the, the season to resign. This is the season to re-up. Those of you that are military, you know what re-up means, right? You've kind of, if you've enlisted, you've got a, what, a four-year, six-year commitment. You do that time. You don't, you know, it's like you're going to commit to it. At the end of that four years or six years, you're free of your obligations to the military, but you also have an, a chance to re-up, to re-enlist, to sign, to continue on sort of the thing that you've been doing. Um, and I, th I believe that the Spirit of God is saying, look, if you're feeling disqualified, don't, don't resign. Don't quit. This is the time to re-up. So can we go to John 21 and then later on a little bit from somewhere else, 2 Corinthians, I think. I don't have, I've tried to scribble down some of my notes here. All right, you guys have your Bibles? It's going to be on the screen as well. I think I got the right translation for this new Bible I found. By the way, John, uh, the gospel seems like it should end at the end of chapter 20. Let me read this to you. This sounds like the perfect ending to the gospel. Now, Jesus did, it's not up on the screen. I'm going to read it to you. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Isn't that a perfect way to end the book? Like, if I'm the editor, I'm like, oh, John, that's beautiful. Come on, let's, let's get this to the presses. Let's roll this out. <laughs> hold on. There's a whole other chapter. And it's a weird chapter. It's really weird. Especially the end of it is really weird. I'm not going to talk about the end of it. It's like, what in the world does that mean? This is weird. I love it when the Bible gets weird with me because it tells me that it's obviously not, you know, written just by human hands. If it were written by human hands, it would stop right there. But the Spirit of God is like, no, 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 no. There's something else. There's a little bit of messy cleanup we got to do here in the life of some, of some of Jesus' disciples. I love that Jesus wants to come and clean up some messes. He got some loose ends he wants to tie up. He circles back around. So here we go. After this, chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, also the Sea of Galilee. So we're up in the north where the disciples came from. They were fishermen up in this area, remember? You know, uh, and, and he revealed himself uh, in this way. Simon Peter, 
Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these disciples. He names, he names them all. They were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. Now Peter, man, I have a lot of love for him. This dude has stuck his foot in his mouth so many times. And Peter knows fishing because he is a, he's a fisherman. By trade, this is what he did. He and the two Zebedee boys, James and John, they were professional fishermen. Their father Zebedee was likely a fisherman too. And if you've ever seen the, the show The Chosen, it's just a really cool thing. You can just kind of see them in their element fishing. You know, so Peter is a fisherman by trade. And when Jesus called him, it seems like a lifetime ago, but it was really just about three, three and a half years before this event. This is what he was doing day after day after day. He had no other ambition. Maybe one day he could own more boats. Maybe one day he could have another crew. Maybe one day he could expand his, his, his market share, you know, and buy a bigger house and take care of his family. But all of a sudden, this guy, Jesus, comes along and just disrupts all of that. And he just encounters, Peter encounters Jesus, and his whole life is train wrecked in that moment. And he comes to grips with the fact that this, this is reality. Fish aren't reality. This is reality. And this reality is calling me to follow after him. And in that moment, three and a half years ago, Peter, Peter says, okay. And the Bible says they leave their nets by the water's edge. They don't find a broker. They don't sell a business. They just go. And they follow Jesus on this incredible three and a half year journey, this wild adventure of going all over the north, all over Galilee, coming down Jerusalem, seeing signs and wonders, seeing miracles, seeing incredible revelations that the world has never seen before. And Peter's along for this ride, and he's just getting, he's just getting just, just broken and wrecked at every turn. And if you know from the story through the Gospels that in those final days, that final week of Jesus' life, he stand, Peter's there. You know, he's, he's in the upper room with the, with, you know, with the bread and the wine, and, and Jesus makes this cryptic statement, one of you will betray me. And Peter says, oh, no, no, no. Jesus, listen, even if these other schmoes run away from you, I'm never going to desert you. And Jesus says, you know what, to be honest, actually, before the day is over, you can deny me not one time, not two times, but three times. And that, would, that very thing would happen in the night when Jesus was arrested and betrayed. Peter is, 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 is with other people, and they accuse him of being with Jesus. He says, no, I don't know who you're talking about. And he says it three times, and the rooster crows, and Peter's heartbroken. He's heartbroken. He betrays his best friend in the whole world. And he has this wound. And even, even as the next several days just unfold this incredible story about how, you know, the women come back and say, you're never going to believe it. The tomb is empty. And Peter runs and John runs. And they run. And sure enough, the tomb is empty. And then Jesus reveals himself to the disciples in the upper room. And Peter's there. And they're all there. And they see Jesus in the flesh. And he comes back several weeks later. But somehow at the end of 21, something is still going on. Something is unresolved in his heart. Something is unresolved in his life. There's still this wound. There's still this like crippling sense of shame and disqualification that is just paralyzing him. In this moment, he just, he doesn't know what to do. It's a little bit different now, post-resurrection. Jesus is not 
closely with his disciples en masse. In other words, he's kind of going now to different people and revealing himself. So the disciples kind of have him sometimes, they kind of don't have him sometimes. They're in this weird limbo of like, well, what are we supposed to do now? It was a, we were a real tight core, us 12, and now we're not really sure what to do. And somehow in, in, in one of these moments, Peter just decides, I'm done, I gotta go back. I don't know what else to do. All I've known is fishing. That's where I'm gonna go. So it doesn't say that he quits ministry and wants to become a fisherman. It doesn't say that. But it does indicate he's going back to the familiar. He's going back to the comfortable. And I got to tell you guys, I so have felt that way. I so have felt that way in seasons of just dryness and difficulty and rejection and hurt. It's just like, okay, please, can I just quit this? Can I just quit this and just get my little computer, do my little graphic design stuff, have my little business, build my little house, raise my little family, just be done with all of this? Some days it would be so easy to do that. And his brothers are around him. They're like, okay, we're going to go with you, Peter. We're not going to let you stay alone in this. It's really cool. So they all go. These seven go together. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And, the, and this, this story is like, it's, it's like a repeat of what happened three years ago. It's so comical. Of course they catch nothing. Obviously, you're not meant for this anymore, Peter. Don't you know that? The fish aren't attracted to you anymore. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. So Jesus then goes all the way from Jerusalem. Now somewhat, how, how far is it to, to Galilee? Those of you that have been, was it 70, 80 miles? I don't know what it is. It's, it's a ways. It's, it's, a good, it's a good long way. But Jesus goes from Jerusalem where he has been resurrected all the way back up to the north to Galilee. He stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. They can't see. Maybe they're like me. Maybe they're like nearsighted. I just see a big mass out there. Some guy. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Those of you that fish, that's, that's what we do. Those of us that fish, you know, we're walking by and some guy's fishing there. Hey, man, how, how the fish today? How's it biting, right? That's what you say. It's just kind of like you normally do that, you know. So he says, how do you have any fish? They say, nope, nothing. He says this to them. He says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Er! Sounds really familiar. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? We can't even do... We can't even run away. We can't, we can't even go back to, 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 to what we thought we wanted to do without the grace of Jesus. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Yeah, he's done this before too. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. And so, well, I'll keep reading. Verse 9, when they got onto land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and some bread. 
There are two instances in the, in the Gospel of John that use this word, the Greek word charcoal fire. This is one of those instances. The other instance occurs three chapters before in chapter 18, and it also involves Peter. This is the second time then that Peter will have stood beside a charcoal fire. First time, Jesus wasn't there. Jesus' name is mentioned. And in that first charcoal fire, Peter stood around warming himself. And to his own shame, he's denying and rejecting the name of Jesus. So I think it's not coincidental at all now in chapter 21 that there's another charcoal fire as if to say, hey, let's do this over again. I think Jesus has that kind of heart that he wants to meet us in our places of failure and brokenness and say, let's have a do-over. And so there's a charcoal fire. And they lay fish out and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Jesus provides the food. <laughs> they didn't have fish until they came along. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. It's so bizarre that they count that. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Chuck, it's another message later on. First time the net was tearing, this time it's not. You're going to have to unpack what that means, man. <laughs> Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Oh, there's such a grace that comes from the Lord to you and I in our seasons of discouragement. He sets a table before us. We could say in the presence of our enemies, what if the enemy is us? What if the enemy is our own shame and our own failure and our own brokenness? Jesus, I want to make a table there. I got a place, you got a place. Let's come on, let's have breakfast. As incredible things happen, sort of at this place of intimacy. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to him, and so was some fish. This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And so it's kind of awkward now. I can imagine it's awkward. I bet there's not eye contact being made. It's like, what do we say? We're kind of embarrassed that we're out here fishing, Jesus, you know? They, they scourged you and nailed you to a cross, and here we are running back fishing. I'm sure there's a degree of shame in this whole encounter. But Jesus does not respond to that with condemnation or rebuke. But I want us to look at what he does say. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <clears throat> we don't really know what he means by these. These could refer to the fish. These could refer to the other disciples there. We don't know. We simply know that Jesus was asking a question. I want to pause here, and at the risk of, 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 of getting too deep into this, I want to give a little bit of a Greek background to this. I don't know a whole lot of Greek. I, I, know, I know just very, enough to get dangerous, right? Enough to get lost on fraternity row if I were there. So <laughs> in English, our word for love is pretty all-encompassing. I love my wife. I love my kids. 
I love fried catfish. I love the New Orleans Saints. Man, I love that shirt. Now, one word can mean many different things. I love my wife in a different way than I love your shirt. The Greeks were smarter than we were. They had several words for love, each of them meaning something different. One of those was eros. It's, it's where we get our term erotic. So, you know, that's that, and obviously you know what that means. That's a passionate, physical kind of love. That's the kind of love I have for my wife, understandably. No one else in the world I love with eros love. So that's one of the words that the Greeks, that the, that the Greeks would have for love. Another word, uh, another Greek word that they would use was phileo. Um, if you've ever been to Philadelphia, that philo means brotherly. It's the city of what? Brotherly love. Phileo means brotherly love. It's this, it's this comradeship. It's this companionship. I, I love Chuck phileo. I phileo Chuck. I love him with a brotherly love. You know? You understand that? Okay. You guys with me on this? Okay. And there's several, but one more I want to give you is, is, is sort of a, it's a higher divine self-giving love, agapeo. And this is like the supreme love of all for the Greeks. This is like, I'm going to, and it's often from sort of from, from, a, from, a, from a superior to, an, to, a, to, a, to a subordinate. I, I have such a divine, I'm going to empty my, I'm going to lower myself and love you with such totality. I'm going to pour out my guts and love for you. That's this supreme kind of love. So this is important, and here's why. is because when Jesus looks at Peter that first time, he chooses that third usage. He looks at Peter. Peter, do you agapeo? Do you love me? Do you love me supremely? Do you love me with divine, self-given love? Peter would have known. And then Peter answers. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. But here's the crazy thing. Peter, Peter changes the word when he answers. Peter, do you agapeo me? Peter doesn't say, oh, yes, God, I agape you kind of drops it down. He says, you know what, Lord? I phileo you. I love you like a brother. Jesus says, okay, then feed my lambs. All right, that was kind of awkward, Jesus. Out of nowhere, that was kind of awkward, Peter. Let's have some more breakfast. Can I have some more fish? Can I have some more bread? Keeps on going. Then Jesus says, asks him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape o me? Uh, why you keep asking me that, Jesus? Come on. Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. All right, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this third time is different. This third time, Jesus, he drops it a little bit. He says, 
Simon, do you phileo me? And it says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And I don't think Peter was grieved because it was simply a repetition of the question. I think Peter was grieved because Jesus suddenly changed his standard and dropped it as if to say, Peter, do you even love me like a brother? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I also read this account. I, it, I've not verified it. I don't, I don't have a lot of background in Jewish custom. Some of you may be, but it was told to me that a part of the custom of divorce in Jesus' day uh, for a husband to divorce his wife was, was sort of after some of the, the legal things were done to declare uh, publicly three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Sort of almost as a, as sort of in the courthouse on the, on the steps of this. And it's interesting that for three denials from Peter, there are three proclamations of love then. As if to say, I'm restoring you, I'm restoring you, I'm restoring you. I think there's such a beauty in this. Because Jesus does a couple of things. He, he sets the standard for what he's calling us into. He's calling us into such a depth of self-giving love. Deeper than any other love we've ever known. Deeper than a love for family. Deeper than a love for your brother. Deeper than a love for your shirt or for the you know, Cincinnati Bengals or UK or whoever it is. He's calling us into such a, a depth of love. He's inviting us into that. But even at places of true honesty and vulnerability, we can say, God, I'm just not there. How many of you have been? That's, that's me. If I'm really honest, I can look at God and say, God, I just, I'm not where you want me to be in so many areas. I can be so selfish. I can be so self-centered. I can be so petty and vindictive and like just like, you know, lazy and undisciplined. And Jesus is sitting at this breakfast table and he's looking me in the face and he's saying, if that's all that you have to give to me is just brotherly love, right now I'll take it. I think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, look, you just give me what you've got. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take whatever you've got. So not, and it's interesting, not only is Jesus sort of um, redeeming the past, he's also clarifying the present and the future. What Peter is to be about is not fishing. Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my lambs. He is the great shepherd. He's using that language of a shepherd. He's like, I'm not using, I'm not using fisherman language anymore. I want you to care for the people and the ministry that I have put around you. And later on, at the end of it, he's going to say this. 
Um, he says, well, I, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk everywhere you wanted, but when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John makes this comment. This he said to show what kind of death Peter was, was to glorify God. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Follow me. That was the same invitation three and a half years ago. Jesus looks at us in our disqualification. And he says, give me whatever you've got, even if it's not enough. And let's get back to work. Oh, church, that's so encouraging for me. Come on, right? And they go. We jump over to 2 Corinthians 4.15, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is encouraging too. of the gospel. Let me begin reading in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 4. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Each of those speaks, I think, to three different cultures that Paul was swimming in. He was swimming in a Hebrew culture. The Hebrews knew all about light. They were to be the light of the world. He was swimming in a Greek culture. The Greeks were all about knowledge. And he was swimming in a Roman culture. The Romans were all about glory, the glory of Rome. And Paul writes to this audience who are sort of likely swimming in all three streams as well and says to you, God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Here we're going, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's this treasure? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You have it. Raise your hand if you have a treasure. Come on, you've got it, church. You've got the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. You have the, 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 the spirit of the resurrected son inside of you. We have this treasure and jars of, you know what a jar of clay is? It's like as basic as you can get. It's like if you were to go to Walmart, go to the garden section, find a little terracotta pot that costs 59 cents, and you're gonna put the treasure of the world inside of that. You know how useless those things are? Probably break on the ride home. Those things are literally made for half a cent each. Paul says we have the treasure, the treasure of the universe inside such frail, broken vessels. You are a frail and you're a broken vessel. You are. You're a jar of clay. You're not a jar of iron. You're not a jar of steel. You're a jar of clay. You are fragile and you are broken and you are imperfect. Somebody say amen. amen. Come on. Some of us are more clay than others. That's all right. 
Why do we have this? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not belongs to us. Can you imagine if we were to read the Gospels and Peter was perfect? Peter had it all together. He knew what to say all the time. He made the right decisions all the time. We would look and say, well, there you go. I can't be Peter. The whole fate of the world, you know, the, the kingdom advanced because Peter was there. How stupid is that? God says, no, I want to pick the most knuckleheaded, obstinate, mouthy disciple I can to give the Spirit of God into. I'm surround him with a bunch of other mouthy, obstinate, knuckleheaded people too. Why? Because the glory does not go to them. It does not go to the jar of clay. If you, are if you feel disqualified, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Hear me. If you feel broken and disqualified and tired and useless and like you just don't have what it takes, guess what? You're on the first string. You're a starter in the kingdom of God. We are afflicted in every way. Somebody say amen. amen. But not crushed. Amen. Perplexed. But not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Ooh, there's a whole lot more to read, but I want to stop right there. Come on. Worship team, come on up here if you would. We're going to spend some time with Jesus here. Oh, thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you're feeling disqualified, it's not the time to resign. It's the time to re-up. And don't start listing all the reasons why you're not qualified. Jesus has heard them all. You didn't murder anybody. Yet. Whatever you've done, it's not enough to disqualify you. I just, I believe that, that, that he's calling his disciples back to a table. And he's saying, give me whatever you can. You got agape love for me? That's awesome. Let's let it be even stronger. You got phileo only kind of love? That's okay, I'll take it. We're going to go deeper together. You don't have any love for me at all? You feel dry and empty? That's okay. Jesus, there's a place for you. Come have breakfast. I want to show you what it means to be loved and to love in return. He says that to you. And he says, we got a mission that we need to be about. Mission is not out here on the lake either. Come on, let's stand together. Jesus, thank you for leaving the 500 and going after these seven. You would have gone after one. If it were just Peter alone on the lake, you would have gone after him. You come after us in our seasons of brokenness. 
and rejection and discouragement. And you look at us and say, you have what it takes. Father, I pray you would minister truth to your church. Anyone feeling disqualified? Let's close our eyes. Let's just do this here. Let's close our eyes for a minute. Anyone feeling just disqualified? Lift a hand up if you would. Feel disqualified because of the past, mistakes you've made, things other people have made, words spoken against you, dreams that seem to have been laid by the wayside, fatigue, life, whatever it is, just all that stuff, life, life. Jesus, we just declare that inside of these jars of clay, we have the treasure of the ages. We just say yes to you, calling us back to yourself, calling us to follow you again. We just say yes to you. We say yes to your table, Lord. 